welcome to this special episode of Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Between February 11th and April 1st, 2022, the Foundation for Middle East Peace and the Middle East Institute held our 2022 Congressional Briefing Series entitled Israel and Palestine, Hot Topics in Congress. This eight-part series was co-convened and co-moderated by MEI's Khaled El-Gindi and myself, Lara Friedman, President of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. It featured an array of Palestinian and Israeli voices weighing in on some of the most pressing and timely Israel-Palestine related issues that Congress faces today. The series was held virtually and participation was open exclusively to members of Congress and congressional staff. However, given the importance both of the issues dealt with in this series and of the expertise featured on each panel, we decided to make the full series available to the public. You can listen to the podcast here and you can find the webinars on our website www.fmep.org. Now sit back and enjoy the podcast. Good morning and uh, or good afternoon to our uh, panelists who are overseas uh, and welcome to uh, the seventh session of our eight part congressional briefing series, Israel and Palestine Hot Topics in Congress. I'm Khaled Al-Gindi. I direct the program on Palestine and Palestinian Israeli affairs at the Middle East Institute. And I'm very pleased to be co-hosting this series with uh, my friend and colleague, Lara Friedman, president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Thanks, Khaled. Great to be back with you today. Today's session is entitled, Where's the Palestinian Mandela? A provocative title indeed. Uh, to dig into this topic, we have with us today another outstanding panel of experts. I will introduce them in alphabetical order. They are Ahmed Abu Artema, who is a Palestinian writer and activist, and Marwa Fatafta, who is the MENA policy director, MENA policy manager at Access Now. I should say we were planning to also have with us our friend and colleague Fadi Koran from Avaz, but for reasons beyond his control, Fadi is not with us today. Um, we are in very good hands though with these two panelists and we are very privileged to have them with us. So thank you. Um, you can read the uh, full bios of all our, our panelists on the MEI and FMEP uh, websites. Uh, our colleagues will also put in the chat box their uh, Twitter handles uh, and links to articles that they've written or things that they've done that are relevant to today's discussion. Um, and if you miss anything in the chat, don't worry. Uh, most uh, the, all of those materials will also be uh, posted on the website after the event. Um, the format is the same as it always is. Uh, we will do a moderated Q&A led by Laura and me. We'll put some basic questions to our panelists and get the discussion going. Uh, we welcome your questions as well from the audience. Um, you can submit those through the Q&A box. Uh, at the bottom of your screen at any time during the conversation, and we'll try to work those into uh, our questions. Um, um, and we'll we'll try to get to, to as many as we can. Finally, please note that today's session is being recorded. Uh, and if you have any technical problems uh, uh, related to the webinar, please uh, send those in, in the chat box and we'll try to get those uh, taken care of. And with that, let's go ahead and begin. Terrific. So just as a quick scene setter, um, in this session, we're going to explore issues surrounding Palestinian civil society and in particular human rights defenders and democracy activists and the challenges and threats they face, including direct attacks by Israel, targeting by Palestinian authorities and apathy and indifference from the international community. 
a lot has been going on in this sphere over the past year, including widespread Palestinian grassroots mobilization last May, linked both to events in Jerusalem and Israel's subsequent military operation in Gaza, um, including the killing of Palestinian civil society activist Nizar Benat at the uh, hands of Palestinian security forces and the popular activism that followed that including Israel's designation of six Palestinian major human rights and civil society NGOs as terrorist organizations, which was preceded by the targeting of NGO staff with terror charges, and of course, including the Great March of Return in Gaza. So Khaled, why don't you start us off uh, with our questions? Um, great. So Ahmed, I want to start with you um, uh, as uh, as an activist, uh, as, a, as a leader in civil society based in, in the Gaza Strip. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the situation uh, in Gaza with respect to Palestinian civil society organizing and uh, activism in support of human rights, civil rights, democracy, and so forth? Um, how does civil society seen uh, in Gaza, for example, differ from that in, in the West Bank? Um, in terms of, uh, you know, just given the, the differences in uh, governing authorities and in governance in general and the conditions uh, are, are different as well. Um, how are the objectives similar and in what ways are they different? And also if you could talk a, a bit about the extent to which there is uh, collaboration in terms of civil society between Gaza and the West Bank. Yeah, uh, thank you Khaled and Lara for having me. Uh, thanks for uh, everyone. Uh, I'm happy for this opportunity. Uh, actually, uh, the, the situation in Gaza, uh, I, can, uh, uh, I, I can talk about it as there is a kind of inactivity in general uh, relating to the uh, civil society. Uh, I, I think there are uh, many reasons behind this. Uh, one of the reasons because of the uh, the uh, the human suffering uh, among the 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 youth in general and the high rates of uh, poverty and unemployment this uh, makes the uh, youth uh, 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 less uh, 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 less interested in, in in the engagement with the civil society and with the the uh, uh, with the political and social uh, work in general and they say we 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 we, we are not able to to uh, secure our uh, basic necessities so we don't find time uh, to uh, uh, to engage with the uh, uh, society and with the activities this is one of the reasons i, I think uh, there is another reason relating to the uh, cancellation of the uh, elections uh, was uh, uh, were supposed to uh, hold on uh, uh, on the uh, last uh, year uh, after the uh, decision of uh, the president Abbas of can can cancelling the elections uh, the disappointment among uh, the people uh, increased so uh, 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 the the majority of the Palestinian people were looking at the uh, elections at that time as the last hope that they can renew the their reality, the legitimacy of the of, of their rulers. Uh, uh, there there is an opportunity uh, for new uh, uh, new leaders uh, to. Uh, 
to come after the you know the the current leaders in Palestine uh, uh, they, they are without elections since uh, uh, since uh, 16 years the last uh, election so uh, uh, many generations were grow were growing without expressing themselves in uh, to vote with, without practicing their uh, right to to uh, to vote so after uh, the cancellation of the elections uh, i feel the uh, the uh, disappointment uh, uh, was increasing and th there is another reason that uh, because of uh, the 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 uh, place of hamas in gaza strip uh, hamas uh, became more strong more more, more strong after uh, uh, after the uh, last events including the confrontation in on last may between gaza uh, uh, and uh, the israeli occupation forces uh, at that escalation uh, uh, the people uh, uh, looked at hamas as hero so when hamas became stronger this means that the civil society lost a uh, 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 part of its uh, power so to be honest with you uh, i'm not satisfied uh, on the uh, uh, on the power of uh, uh, the civil society now in in gaza uh, uh, when it comes to west bank i never visited west bank unfortunately uh, as uh, maybe the majority of the of my generation and the uh, uh, in Gaza Strip and the the younger generations, uh, so I, I don't have a, a, a comparison between Gaza and West Bank. Uh, but uh, when when we saw the uh, crime of the assassination of Nizar Banat, this gave us a, a message and gave us a sign how it's very dangerous. Uh, to practice your uh, 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 your uh, uh, right in, in, in expressing your uh, uh, political uh, 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 idea, opinion, your political opinion. Uh, uh, and I, I think uh, uh, my colleague can, uh, can speak better about the situation in West Bank. Thank you, Ahmed. And Marwa, that's, that's a perfect segue. Um, you know, it, I, I, I want to say that we're talking about the West Bank and Gaza Strip as if they are separate entities when obviously all of this is Palestine and, and people forget that under the Oslo Accords, Israel agreed to treat them as a single territorial area. That's the West Bank, Gaza and East Jerusalem. Um, but de facto, Israeli policy now for, for more than a decade, almost two decades at least, has, has isolated them from one another to the extent that it is a very different examination to understand the realities on the ground in one place and the other. So can you basically answer the same question? What is the situation in the West Bank and to the extent that you can talk about East Jerusalem as well with respect to Palestinian civil society organizing and activism in support of human rights, civil rights and democracy? And, and, and you know maybe go a little bit more into why it is different than in the Gaza Strip. Thanks a lot, Lara and Khaled for organizing this webinar today and I'm happy to be with you. Um, directly to your question, I think in terms of civil society space in the West Bank, we've reached a precarious tipping point. There are two 
um, significant events that happened yesterday, and you've mentioned in your introduction. One, the assassination of Nizar Banat, a Palestinian political dissident who was criticizing uh, the performance of the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinian leadership uh, on YouTube and on social media. And that signals the increasing intolerance of the Palestinian Authority for any form or shape of uh, peaceful political dissent in the occupied territories and specifically in the West Bank, where they have, of course, um, a certain level of control, right? Um, and I believe it might be actually the first instance of straightforward incident of assassination. And you can imagine the chilling effect uh, of that incident on many Palestinian journalists and activists who are in the West Bank and are unable to a certain degree express um, their views, especially in a context where um, Palestinians don't necessarily view their leadership um, favorably. I mean, the, the, the leadership's legitimacy has been expired, as Ahmed mentioned, for 16 years, for almost for over a decade. And the, the other significant incident is Israel's designation of six most prominent human rights organizations in Palestine as terrorist organizations. Um, of course, that means that they are facing the imminent threat of detention, um, closure of their offices, confiscation of their devices, uh, and pretty much being banned from doing this work. Um, and the underwhelming response from the international community is, is equally dangerous and scary because it signals to Israel that um, you can pretty much do anything as in labeling um, prominent human, human rights organizations as terrorists. Um, these kind of acts are done by the likes of Russia and China and you know, the most authoritarian powers there, there are in this world. And yet um, that, you know, there was no uh, response from the US or from Europe, uh, from the EU to, to basically pressure Israel to lift um, the labeling and the designation, which means that at this rate, if we continue in, under these circumstances, I do have a genuine fear that the Palestinian human rights movement might be annihilated, where you literally don't have a space to exercise um, the work um, and, and have the space to document human rights violations committed by the Palestinian Authority and by the Israeli occupation forces uh, and, and be able to use international human rights mechanisms like the UN, the, the, the current probe happening right now at the International Court, um, the ICC, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's an overall dark picture. And I don't think that we are going in on any positive direction if, as long as the Israeli authorities um, are not held accountable for their attack on Palestinian civil society. Thanks, Marwa. Uh, you mentioned the use of uh, technology uh, by, uh, it's become, I think, uh, clearly a, the tool of choice um, to operate in the digital realm for civil society, for activists, um, everywhere in the world, but but also in, in Palestine. Um, and this is an area that is specifically um, part of your area of expertise. So can you talk about the, the positive role of technology, um, tools like social media and other online platforms in empowering uh, Palestinian political engagement, organizing activism and so forth? How is technology being used um, both uh, by Israel and its supporters and by Palestinian authorities at the same time to target and quash 
this uh, this very uh, type of uh, of activism um, and to delegitimize it. And can you talk about the challenges that this poses um, for for the kind of work that uh, uh, that Palestinians are doing in the civil society arena? Uh, thanks, Khaled. Um, sure. I mean, so over the last decade, social media has been most empowering to communities that historically have had no or limited access to traditional or mainstream media uh, or have restrictive uh, or restricted space, civic space to be uh, able to publicly organize um, and mobilize politically. Um, and in the context of Palestine, as we already mentioned, I mean, the situation has worsened, but um, since the occupation of the Palestinian territories of, uh, in 1967, uh, Palestinians have been denied basic rights, uh, including civil and political rights to be able to politically organize, express themselves. I mean, we're talking about a period of time, right? And you know this Khalid where, uh, raising a Palestinian flag was criminalized. Um, the very expression of Palestinian identity has been criminalized under Israeli uh, military orders in, in the occupied territories. Uh, traditional or mainstream media have also dealt with Palestinians um, uh, by systematically objectifying them, you know, rendering them mere voiceless objects for journalists to report on uh, without having Palestinian voices on board. So, you know, a lot of ink has been spilled on Israel-Palestine. There's been so much coverage. And I believe that the Palestinian-Israeli conflict has been one of the most documented and covered uh, conflicts in, in the modern times, yet Palestinian voices are nowhere to be heard or, or found. Um, there is actually a very powerful uh, study done by a a Palestinian media scholar, uh, Maha Nassar in 2020, she analyzes um, mainstream media and uh, she looks at the, the two most powerful newspapers in the US and around the world, the Washington Post and the New York Times. Um, and she find, and, and, the, and the results are, or the findings are really mind blowing. So from 1970 until 2019, there were, around 2,500 op-eds published in the New York Times, less than 2% of those were written by Palestinians. And in the Washington Post, similar number of op-eds, less than 1% of those were written by Palestinians. And that what probably um, uh, propelled the Palestinian uh, thinker Edward Said to pen his famous article uh, following uh, Israel's invasion of Lebanon, you know, the permission to narrate, right? Because there's a lot of facts about Palestine and Israel. There's a lot of document, uh, documentation of Israel's abuses and human rights violations uh, in the occupied territories. But the question here is from whose lens are these events being told? And I think, under those historical circumstances, Palestinians found in social media and new technologies, a new alternative civic space where they can exercise uh, that um, right that they have been denied for a long time to be able to share their stories um, in their own words, in their own narrative, to be able to piece that narrative together and share it with the rest of the world, as we've seen uh, last year during the events of Sheikh Jarrah and the bombardment uh, of Gaza that ensued 
um, and to be able to document, right? I think documentation of human rights abuses are extremely important to preserve the narrative, and they're also part of uh, building a Palestinian archive. Um, and, and actually, I would say that Palestinians, as a matter of fact, have been one of the very first people to use social media for political purposes. Um, often the, the example of Iran and the, and the Green Revolution in 2009 uh, is mentioned as, a, as one of the first examples of using social media for political purposes. But a year before that, Palestinians during Israel's war on Gaza in 2008-2009 used hashtags um, and used Twitter and social media to, to cover and provide coverage uh, for um, that war at the time. And to your second part, uh, to the second part of your question, Khaled, uh, regarding challenges and threats that Palestinians face using the internet, um, you know, going back to the examples from 2008 to the present moment in time, that digital ecosystem has changed quite drastically. Um, and for a number of reasons, and that might take me a lot of time to explain, but I'll try to be as succinct as I can. Um, I think between the, the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, every government or authority, so that is the Israeli authorities, the PA and Hamas in Gaza, have found in this online space um, a need for it to be closely monitored and controlled for a number of reasons, for the PA and Hamas to quash uh, and crack down on any political dissent, especially as people are becoming more and more um, angry with, with the current leadership. And of course, for the Israeli government to uh, shut down any Palestinian activism and to be able to stop the flow uh, of Palestinian documentation of their abuses. Um, and there are two kind of actors in, uh, or maybe two ways, right, uh, in which this control has taken space. For the, for, for Palestinians in the West Bank, you know, the Palestinian Authority has, uh, just to share some examples of what they've done to be able to control that space. One, they've decided to block websites that uh, publish content that is critical of the PA, right? So the first incident of blocking website was in 2008. I believe they blocked, blocked back then a media outlet that was critical of the PA. And since then, there is about 60 uh, websites that, that either belong to independent media or to uh, Hamas or affiliated with Hamas or affiliated with Fatah uh, rivals. Those are blocked. Then the PA moved, um, came up with this draconian cybercrime legislation in 2017, uh, which has been used um, to stifle freedom of expression and political dissent online. Some of the very first cases of individuals prosecuted under this law uh, were actually Palestinian journalists. Um, and so even though the PA says, you know, we're using this uh, law to combat cybercrime, such as online fraud and uh, child pornography, its actual purpose is to uh, target and prosecute Palestinians, uh, political dissidents, journalists, and human rights defenders. Um, Hamas you know, is, is not any better. They also have prosecuted a lot of internet users in the Gaza Strip under uh, Trump charges of misuse of social media. And of course, the Israeli authorities here takes the 
um, the lion's share, of course, they have more resources and ways in which they can control that space. Um, they started the cyber or created the, the cyber unit in 2016, uh, whose main purpose is to monitor social media and uh, send in bulk requests uh, to social media uh, companies in order to remove content that violates their terms of services. And as a, as a result of that, thousands, uh, if, if not more, of Palestinian content has been removed without transparency and in a very arbitrary manner, as we've seen uh, last year during the events of Sheikh Jarrah. Um, they've been using also an extremely sophisticated um, artificial intelligence powered predictive policing system whose job is to monitor social media posts written by Palestinians and flag so-called likely attackers. So uh, people who have not committed any crime, but the, the system flagged as a possible likely attacker. And as a result of that, thousands of Palestinians, uh, especially young Palestinians and teenagers really have been uh, detained uh, for innocuous Facebook posts. Um, or changing their profile picture uh, on the grounds that maybe in the future they might commit an attack. And as you know, Khaled, uh, for Palestinians, they're not granted any uh, fair trial or due process. So you can be detained or put under administrative detention for six months to be renewed indefinitely uh, without a charge. And in some of the cases I've seen and read, you know, some kids have been uh, faced with with a with a screenshot of their Facebook post, uh, and when you ask, okay, what is the actual evidence of of this person, you know, being involved in in so called terrorism? Um, these are dis dis undisclosed. Uh, they can't disclose them for for security reasons. Um, and of course, now we've all heard about the NSO group, which is an Israeli spyware company whose uh, spyware Pegasus has been used by democratic and authoritarian governments around the world uh, to spy on activists and human rights defenders. And that sophisticated spyware has been also used in, in the occupied territories, as was revealed last year in November, that uh, six Palestinian human rights defenders had their devices hacked using Pegasus, and four of uh, whom actually work for the Palestinian organizations who were designated as terrorist organizations a month prior. So here we see a clear link between online repression and offline repression and how this goes hand in hand. And one last thing I want to mention here is of course, you know, Israel is relying on these sophisticated technologies on artificial intelligence, on biometric uh, surveillance technologies like facial recognition technologies uh, planted across uh, the West Bank in checkpoints. Um, they collect the most sensitive of personal data, that is your biometric data, data that you cannot delete or alter. Um, actually, yesterday Haaretz published a, a report that says that um, Israeli soldiers are not only competing to collect, to collect as many biometric data of Palestinians, but they are not allowed to end their shift in any given day before they collect the names and the photos of, Palest of 50, at least 50 Palestinian uh, individuals um, to feed their biometric database. So we're talking about automating a system of, of apartheid, automating occupation, um, and, 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 and you know, driving the oppression that happens in the occupied territories at an industrial scale. 
Um, to, to wrap up, perhaps um, I would say that, you know, for any Palestinian at this moment in time to exercise your right to freedom of expression is akin to walking between the raindrops while trying to uh, stay dry. Um, so unfortunately, it's, it's, it's really difficult. If you're not detained by the PA, you might be detained by, by Israel, uh, or if you are in the Gaza Strip, of course, Hamas can always prosecute you or interrogate you based on whatever you published uh, online. Thank you, Marwa. And that was a really, I think, brilliant um, summary of a, a lot of a lot of factors that are that are sort of closing in on Palestinians and civil society. Ahmed, I wanted to come back to you and dig in a little more on sort of the objectives of civil society engagement. And, and you mentioned, both of you mentioned the issue of elections, um, elections and, and the, the lack of legitimacy of the current leadership. There was a lot of talk about elections this time last year and civil society was deeply engaged in preparing for those elections, debating what the objectives were, how they should take place. And obviously they, they were canceled. Um, I, I want you to dig into that a little bit. First of all, for why, why elections matter under occupation, right? As long as there's still the overarching occupation, why is it that elections are important to Palestinians and for a, a, a society, a, a generation of civil society actors that have not had any taste of democracy yet, what what they hope to achieve with elections now and what you think the prospects are. And this is something that really crosses because it's clear there will be no elections unless they can take place in all of the areas, right? West Bank, Gaza, East Jerusalem, that is a, that's a red line politically. Um, so, so what are the prospects of that moving forward and what is civil society's role perhaps in making that happen? Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, the, uh, the elections uh, was important because uh, it's an opportunity for uh, uh, many generations, they never uh, vote. They, and uh, because you know there is uh, the leadership uh, uh, in general in Palestine, not only in Gaza and West Bank, but also uh, uh, if it comes to the uh, PLO representatives, uh, they, 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 they represent the Palestinian people across the world. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, the, the National Council. So the, uh, uh, the, the, the people uh, need to feel that the, their leaders uh, 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 represent them, uh, uh, represent them, and they are elected by them. Then this can uh, increase the responsibility of the leaders, and uh, sure, uh, th th this this will protect the leadership from the dictatorship and from the uh, the corruption. Uh, when 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 the the current leaders when they are still in their places since 16 years from now so this means there is no accountability this means that there are new generations they uh, don't feel that uh, this uh, leaders uh, those leaders represent them and this is very dangerous so uh, 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 if, even uh, even if we are against Oslo Accords, that uh, that the, the Palestinian Authority uh, uh, were uh, uh, based on the the Oslo Accords, but uh, the, the, the the elections we don't look 
uh, to the elections only uh, as uh, one of the uh, 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 products of Oslo Accords, but it's uh, 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 it's the right of the generations. It's the right of the people. Uh, how can you, as a person in the leadership, how can you uh, speak on behalf of me and I don't have the right to vote, uh, uh, to choose you, and I don't have the right to to ask you, I don't have the right to uh, uh, bring you to the uh, accountability. So uh, uh, the, the cancellation of the, the, the uh, elections was very, uh, 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 make many disappointment among the people because this means that uh, the leaders will not care uh, more about the, uh, the, 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 the general opinion, uh, the opinion of the Palestinian people because their legitimacy uh, 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 came from, uh, uh, from the power and came from the relations with Israel, the uh, security coordination or the power not, not came from the, uh, uh, what the people uh, uh, want. Uh, so and and by the way, this is why uh, the PA killed Nizar Banat. They killed Nizar Banat, Banat because he increased his voice against the dictatorship and against the corruption. They feel that uh, 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 he he passed the red lines that it's uh, uh, unallowed for uh, some activists or parties uh, to uh, to 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 break the, the to break the silence uh, and to 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 make a, a general opinion to uh, make a pressure against the uh, people who are in the circles of responsibility so uh, 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 so we, we 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 should increase not only because yes the elections is our right but because to engage the new generations the uh, young people uh, who never uh, uh, engaged in any political work to engage them in the uh, uh, cause of their people in their in their cause and to make them feel that this is our cause uh, for me, as an example, now I'm 36, uh, 37 years old. In 2006, uh, I was about uh, 21 and I practiced my, uh, my, my right to vote at that time. And it, was, it, was, it was the first and uh, uh, the last time until now. But, uh, but but so I, I can uh, uh, make comparison between my feeling at that time and the, the feeling of the, uh, the, the generations today, the, the new generations, the, uh, uh, here, here we, we, we call them the generations of TikTok and uh, Instagram, because uh, sometimes we feel that this is the uh, only uh, window of them, the only space of them to express the, their, their selves. When when I uh, when I speak when I make discussion with uh, the 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 with the young people and ask them about the political issues, uh, and many times I feel disappointed. I feel they are don't care about this, and this is very dangerous 
for us in the in the uh, national level. Uh, at at my time in 2006, when I was in the same time, I was able to feel how my generation at that time uh, very uh, active in the political work, and because they they, they had the opportunity at that time to uh, uh, to express uh, their service on the social and the political uh, work. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks, Ahmed. Um, Ahmed, if I could stay with you, I wanted to ask you about something that you are probably best known for, um, uh, both inside and outside of Palestine, which is uh, as your role as one of the key organizers of the Gaza March of Return, um, which I believe was about uh, four years ago that it was that it was launched. Um, tell us a little bit about what those that march was uh, was supposed to do. Uh, many of us uh, probably remember the, the the kind of weekly protests that were happening at the uh, border fence uh, in Gaza. What was the rationale behind the uh, organizing the March of Return? What did you hope to accomplish by it? Um, and what happened to it? How how it you know we it's been a couple of years now since we've seen uh, people protesting at the uh, at the at the border fence, um, but also tell us what happened to it and how Israel responded uh, to uh, to those protests. Yeah, uh, uh, if we want to to speak uh, uh, from the side of the uh, uh, national uh, uh, national side, the uh, the Great March of Return was uh, like a scream at that time. Uh, from the people who are under the siege and who who feel that uh, how their national cause is uh, in dangerous in the light of uh, Trump's plan at that time. So it was a necessary step that uh, we sent a strong message that uh, uh, we, we have the insistence to continue our struggle for freedom and for uh, our uh, national uh, rights, but uh, uh, if if we want to broad the, uh, uh, the the march of return to the same context uh, uh, about the, the 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 political work, uh, uh, so uh, and the civil society, uh, the, the march of return was a, a, an important opportunity at that time for the uh, youth and for the civil society society to uh, uh, to show its role and to uh, 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 to show its activity uh, in the national uh, 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 causes uh, so at that time uh, uh, even before the great march of return started uh, uh, i uh, found uh, a high activity from hundreds of youth and from tens of the civil society organizations that they felt at that time that this is uh, uh, our role this is our cause this is uh, uh, our uh, 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 our movement we should uh, uh, let it uh, 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 succeed at that time. So the March of Return uh, 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 was important not only because it's uh, goal, but also because 
the the organizations and the civil society and the youth who participated in in that the mar that march uh, and felt how this uh, 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 march is uh, very important for for them. Yes, for, uh, about the Israeli uh, reaction, it, uh, uh, it, it Israel used the lethal uh, violence uh, against the protesters. Uh, the protesters never uh, 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 represent any uh, uh, threat against the Israeli soldier at that time, but Israel, for political uh, reason. Uh, decided to use the lethal violence against the protesters to kill the uh, the, the soul the, the the spirit of of this idea uh, uh, because it, it, Israel is uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, keep us as Palestinians uh, uh, in the situation of silence in the situation of uh, uh, inactivity. Uh, the, so the, 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 when, when, when the March of Return started, uh, we, we feel how the, 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 the dynamics of the society uh, activate at that time uh, and how the, uh, the, the mood of the people changed and how the soul of the Palestinian people increased at that time. This is what makes Israel feel danger, uh, feel dangerous from this idea and from the Great March of Return. So it decided to uh, use the lethal violence and to uh, 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 th that hundreds and thousands of the uh, uh, protesters were injured uh, uh, to, to, to make the Palest Palestinians uh, 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 this uh, uh, despair from any uh, uh, positive uh, thinking uh, in the uh, uh, in this road, the road of how to resist, how to uh, 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 fight and uh, struggle for uh, freedom. Uh, uh, yes, uh, I, I'm I'm sorry because the march of return didn't continue. Uh, uh, but I think it uh, uh, gave the uh, example for the people, not only inside Gaza, but also the Palestinian refugees in Jordan, the Palestinian refugees in Lebanon, in West Bank, everywhere. It gave them the example. So I think this idea, the idea of the uh, 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 the the the. the, the, the the march of uh, return, uh, it's very uh, deep um, inside the Palestinian refugees' uh, hearts. Uh, so even if it stopped, we saw in uh, last May how the refugees uh, uh, from Jordan and Lebanon spontaneously, they came to the borders and they say, we want to return to our homes. Uh, 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 so yes, the the uh, the Palestinians uh, 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 never uh, 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 forget or give up their right to return to their homes. Uh, but if uh, if we will uh, have another opportunity in the future, I hope that the civil society have a, a, a better role, a greater role in the. Uh, than the factions in the uh, march of return. Uh, 
because uh, we, we, we don't want this kind of resistance that it's controlled by uh, one faction or one movement or even if many movements, then they can, uh, 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 they can, uh, uh, Israel and the other countries, the other governments can make a pressure against them. But when uh, the resistance uh, has a, a, a grassroots from the civil society, this will make uh, this uh, 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 march or this activity in general stronger and it, it will make for Israel more difficult for Israel to, to, uh, to kill this uh, idea. So uh, I'm not satisfied on the role of the civil society. I feel that they can be more active uh, in, in, in the march of return and has better uh, 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 places of leadership in the March of return, uh, 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 then th this can uh, uh, make uh, our society and our people uh, uh, more diverse. Thank you, Ahmed. And and for folks who have been following the series, we actually did in a, a another a session of the series focused specifically on refugees and the call for return. I, I highly recommend that. That was. Um, uh, a really featuring Omar um, Al-Kubari from Zokrot, Hani Al-Matun from UNRWA USA, and Francesca Albanese from Georgetown University. Terrific session. But um, so Ahmed, you, you gave me a perfect link to what I want to come to with Marwa, which is, so, you know, on the heels of the Great March of Return, last May, we saw tension and clashes in Jerusalem, which I referenced earlier. This is over Israeli policies targeting East Jerusalem residents. And then there was a major Israeli military operation, the Gaza Strip. And then we saw related clashes in the quote unquote mixed cities inside Israel, which included heavy handed um, Israeli security tactics against Palestinian citizens. And in the wake of that, we saw widespread punitive arrests of Palestinian citizens. So all of this appeared to, to mobilize and to reflect a powerful sense of shared purpose and shared future amongst Palestinians across geopolitical borders, right? This fragmentation um, between the areas that we talked about earlier, uniting Palestinians, West Bank, East Jerusalem, Gaza Strip, and inside the Green Line. So I want you to talk about that. Where do, where do you see that going? Um, you know, starting with the Great March of Return through the arc of where we are today. And also, can you talk about the role of technology in breaking through the barriers and in, 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 in fixing or challenging the fragmentation that has been imposed on Palestinians over the years, including Palestinians in the diaspora, by the way? Yeah, uh, thanks, Lara. I mean, as a matter of fact, the events of last year are called the Intifada of Unity. Uh, specifically for the point you mentioned, uh, I live in the diaspora, even though I don't label myself as a Palestinian diaspora, I have family in the West Bank and I go there regularly, but um, there was a shared sense of unity and we have been going through decades of political stagnation. Um, maybe stagnation actually is not the right word, deterioration since the failure of the Oslo Accords and the two state solution paradigm. These have not worked. The international community's promises to the Palestinian people have not materialized. Uh, it's 2022, we don't have a state and there is no hope that we're going to have a, a state on some extremely fragmented, limited geography. Now, for the first time 
since the spark of the protest in Sheikh Jarrah, it was uh, started by a number of families in, in, in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah in East Jerusalem who are facing the imminent threat of eviction from their homes. And by that, by that, I mean, I mean, in the larger scheme of things, it means the ethnic cleansing of East Jerusalem and emptying it of its Palestinian indigenous population and substituting that with uh, Israeli Jewish settlers. It's been um, an Israeli policy since time, um, time memorial. So, um, that evolved and it, a lot of Palestinians, including myself, have been watching, you know, I live in Germany, I have been watching what is, you know, the events on the ground on social media. And for the first time, there was a, a revived sense of hope and purpose and agency. I think agency is an extremely important element here because for a long time, we feel we felt that we've lost our agency over our own present and future. We have, as we said and already discussed, we have a Palestinian leadership who's been expired, extremely old, disconnected from the Palestinian people, their needs. And by the Palestinian people, I don't mean those of us who live in the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza, but also those who live in refugee camps and live, um, you know, there are 10 million Palestinians who are, li who are, are living in, in, in exile or in diaspora. Um, and those are being completely dismissed, you know, they're not even on the books of, of the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinian leadership. And we see, of course, also the PA or the Palestinian leadership adopting this, um, you know, using the words of Nur Arikat, this policy of acquiescence, you know, just uh, giving up and maybe hoping that the international community will grace them one day and, and fulfill the promise uh, of this state, uh, right? And as I said, like for once, Palestinians were able to mobilize. There were no Palestinian factions being involved in street mobilization. And we felt that actually it's not all doom and gloom. The, it has not been, the issue has not been um, resolved, not resolved, but it has not ended yet. There's still space for us to mobilize. There's still space for us to make change and difference. Now, to your second part of your question, you know, I have been studying uh, digital activism and, uh, and, and social justice movements and resistance movements in the MENA region for almost a decade. And one conclusion I can share is that online activism is great, has opened a lot of new doors, but it's not sustainable. And it cannot really fulfill the purpose of liberation or fulfill the purpose of social, social justice and political change on its own. So the question of you know where do we go from um, the events of Sheikh Jarrah and the, um, the Intifada of Unity, uh, there needs to be sustained political organizing on the ground, coupled by political organizing online, because of course in this world, A, um, there's a lot of apathy and of course with social, with social media it's it goes in cycles and waves right now everybody's have their eyes on Ukraine so it would be really hard, you know, let's say if the events of Sheikh Jarrah took place now amid uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I don't think we would have received the same attention from the, from the world uh, to the pl plight of those uh, families. So we can't really bet on online activism to deliver justice and freedom to the Palestinian people. And civil society, and I agree with Ahmed's conclusion that you know Palestinian civil society need to play a greater role in mobilizing Palestinians. Right now, um, it's been, pretty much grassroots mobilization. And the big 
organizations, they do extremely important work on documentation, that kind of traditional, you know, human rights work. But they're also disconnected from the Palestinian populace to a certain degree. Um, they, they, they fit in this Oslo paradigm, right? A lot of them still work on the hope of um, establishing a social contract of you know, Palestinian citizenship and going to the point on elections. I don't think you can actually build a democracy or maintain a democracy under military occupation. I mean, that's, it's a disingenuous argument. I don't think it's politically viable. Um, and let's not forget when Palestinians did exercise last time uh, their right to elect their president and the legislative council, the international community boycotted the results. And we all know what, uh, uh, what happened after that, you know, and then in terms of political fragmentation between Hamas and Fatah. And so, I'm sorry, I'm moving in a lot of uh, in, in different topics, but I just wanted to say that um, tomorrow we have local councils elections in the West Bank. Um, so, you know, every now and then the PA kind of allows or permissive, you know, uh, permits these elections to take place in a way to kind of let some steam off and maybe to let Palestinians think or believe that they can exercise some political agency or can organize themselves. But the ceiling for that political participation uh, in decision-making on what uh, governs Palestinian lives and futures is, is really extremely low. I mean, we're talking about municipality elections. Um, what do municipalities do in the West Bank? They provide water, they uh, can build roads if they have money uh, and uh, electricity. And not, you know, so that's the level of political organizing or participation, uh, if you may, in the West Bank. Um, and uh, we have reached a, a point where if we put all these different factors together, there is a, a huge responsibility for Palestinians to continue their mobilization and continue what they started in May uh, 2021. Um, I, I, I don't have answers to where we're going at the moment. Um, you know, we're facing all sorts of odds um, and there is no, not one Palestinian movement that is able to take the achievements of last year forward. So um, it's a bit of a huge challenge, uh, but at least the, the hope has been rekindled and we might see more new movements uh, springing up uh, soon. Thank you. And, and yeah, it's nice to, it, it's, it's a hopeful thought. And I think we're all held onto that moment of hope last year and are watching for that. I want to shift. Um, we have time for two more um, relatively short rounds. So we've covered a lot of ground and thank you both for that already. I want to narrow the focus to what we titled the session and we gave it a provocative title on purpose. Where's the Palestinian Mandela? And this is the kind of thing that we as people working in Israel-Palestine here in the United States hear really often. And it's usually used by critics of the Palestinians um, in the context of arguments suggesting that the absence of peace um, in the territory between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River is not due to settlements or policies of Israel or anything else. It's due to the failure of Palestinians to produce a courageous leader who is 100% committed to nonviolence, just like they who people now misremember inaccurately, um, Nelson Mandela and say Mahatma Gandhi, whose movements have now been reimagined um, when they actually were not entirely exclusively nonviolent. 
So can you, I want to start with you, Ahmed. When someone says to you, as someone new, as an activist and someone who was involved in, in the great march of return and all of that, when they say to you, where's the Palestinian Mandela? What, what do you respond to that question? Uh, the simple and direct uh, response that Israel killed many Mandela's on, on Palestine uh, 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 yes, uh, uh, I think there are many uh, uh, many sides for this uh, uh, for this uh, question. Uh, first, uh, it's uh, relating uh, to the uh, to the nature of of the Israeli uh, occupation and the Israeli colonization in Palestine. And there is a difference uh, between uh, uh, the situation in Palestine and the situation in, in South Africa. Yes, uh, Israel is a state of apartheid, but actually it's worse than apartheid. Uh, so it's uh, the, the problem of, of Israel is not only that the racial discrimination uh, uh, based on the ethnicity or based on the religion, this is very, uh, uh, very clear in the Israeli policies, but there are many other, uh, uh, many other sides that uh, the, the uprooting of the Palestinian people, Nakba, and the uh, uh, ethnically cleansing, uh, the uh, the uh, the massacres, the horrible massacres. There, there was no refugees in in South Africa, but here in Palestine. There are uh, uh, there are uh, about uh, six million uh, Palestinian refugees. So uh, Israel itself, uh, 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 Israel itself, it's it's not uh, just a matter of that uh, that we as Palestinians we need our uh, civil rights to be equal with the Jewish citizens. This is a part of the problem, but not all the problem. There are many other israel want no palestinians zero palestinians the, the the problem of israel with the palestinian existence itself so this makes it more difficult uh, than uh, the situation in south africa but uh, even we as palestinians we, we we were inspired by the struggle in south africa and uh, uh, I think it's uh, it's important here to uh, to to mention that uh, the the establishment of the boycott uh, movement uh, BDS on 2005, uh, and uh, we know that it's uh, this idea is inspired by the struggle of uh, South Africa and the uh, uh, the activists who established the uh, BDS are Palestinians from uh, uh, from palestine uh, uh, and and we know there are uh, many activities uh, across the world uh, uh, for bds and bds uh, message is very clear uh, it's uh, based on the international law and it's completely uh, used the peaceful ways but uh, he, but uh, uh, despite this, uh, this a clear uh, image of the and a clear activity of uh, BDS, we saw how Israel uh, tried to uh, uh, criminalize BDS 
across the world and the the the, the western governments british government and uh, some uh, 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 some states in the united states uh, 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 they, they they are working to uh, uh, to criminalize the uh, uh, the bds so the bds is a palestinian attempt to uh, uh, to produce the palestinian uh, mandela the march of return itself the march of return was uh, an important opportunity uh, 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 for uh, uh, an important opportunity for the Palestinians to shift to the uh, uh, to uh, to a, a more uh, a clear uh, struggle based on the human rights and based on the uh, 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 based on the uh, yes uh, the rights uh, and uh, and but but Israel and I think deliberately Israel deliberately. Uh, uh, failed this Palestinian uh, tend to the uh, to the peaceful and to the uh, struggle based on the uh, based on the rights because Israel uh, uh, Israel want to keep the image that the Palestinians uh, Hamas and uh, 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 some uh, uh, militias, militias. We 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 fight against them in the same context of the uh, war against the terrorism and like like this. So uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, the, the 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 nature of the struggle in Palestine is more uh, uh, difficult than the situation in South Africa. And uh, uh, Israel and its supporters across the, uh, the, the, the world, they tried. And Israel itself, it, uh, 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 we know in, in many, many activities uh, for the Palestinians, Israel uh, uh, suppressed them violently because Israel want for the Palestinians to stay in the uh, uh, stigma it gave. Uh, 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 for them in, in, in the world. Uh, 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 yes. Thank you. Mama, can you answer the same question? And can you also, as an add-on to that one, talk about, you know, again, with online activism, with civil society, mm -hmm. Palestinian civil society today intertwined with international Israeli civil society, can you talk about the efforts to delegitimize Palestinian activism? You know, again, this Palestinian Mandela argument basically used to argue that the, where is the peaceful protest and, and how you see that intertwining going forward between social movements, the non-Palestine focused ones and the Palestine focused social movements in the future. Yeah, I mean, to your question, I don't subscribe to this mythology. I don't think Palestinians need a savior or a man, you know, one man to run the show. Um, as a matter of fact, I mean, one of the most in inspiring and ex um, exemplary moments of Palestinian civil society in terms of mobilization, like mass mobilization and political organizing is the first intifada. And Back then, there was a clandestine leadership. There were no icons or Mandelas. Nobody knew who they were. Of course, now we know. But and communication was primitive. You know, either you know people were spraying messages on with the spray uh, cans on the wall, or extremely secretive. You know, schoolgirls um, 
hiding political leaflets in, in their uh, in, in bread loaves. Um, and it was at that time where the Israeli authorities were forced for the first time in their occupation history to sit down with the Palestinians to negotiate. And also this uh, Mandela idea kind of dismisses the fact that Israel has one goal and one goal only, and that is to establish an ethno-nationalist Jewish state. And that stands in complete contradiction with the idea of coexistence, peace, and justice. So, um, of course, Israel has always used the line of, you know, that we are ready for peace, but Palestinians are not ready. We're waiting for this Mandela to sit down with us. That's just them uh, trying to buy themselves time to accelerate the building of illegal settlements in the West Bank. I mean, if we look at um, the number of, of, of settlements in, in when the Oslo Accords were signed to this moment in time, it's we're, we have over half a million, I think 600,000 settlers living in the West Bank. So it's just a matter of using the peace process, the so-called peace process, um, the whole Oslo paradigm is also made to, you know, create a Palestinian authority that is a subcontractor to the to the occupation. It Israel got rid of its responsibilities as an occupying uh, power under international law, and that is now being paid by the U.S. and by the EU, the you know the so-called international community, by pumping funds to the, the PA for education and garbage collection, and I don't know what like basic services. Um, so it's been the most convenient occupation of all times to the Israeli government, while of course maintaining um, their system of apartheid. I mean, we've not we have not discussed this enough today. Um, many international and Palestinian political, uh, not political, but human rights organizations have concluded through their um, meticulous legal analysis that Israel commits the crime of apartheid, the most serious crime under international law in the League of Slavery, Torture and Genocide. And most recently, actually this week on Monday, the UN Special Rapporteur on Palestine also concluded in his report to the Human Rights Council that Israel commits the crime of apartheid in the occupied territories. So within this constellation, how do we expect or believe that um, the only obstacle to peace is the emergence of the Palestinian Messiah or Mandela or Gandhi? I don't believe, um, this is not a you know genuine argument. And as I said, it, this is not the path forward. What we actually need on the Palestinian side is to build a movement from the ground up because the current political leadership, as we already discussed, has not served its purpose. And uh, we need to come up with a new framework. We need to come up with new national goals. Um, and that's incumbent upon us, really, for us to, to come up with a new leadership or a new form of governance or a new form of liberation movement. That's what we need, a national project and a national movement that represents us and our needs. Um, to your second part, um, to the second part of your question on um you know how can we use online spaces and connect with the outside world with with international organizations with israeli organizations that are also working on the same goals um as i said you know the 
the Karen digital ecosystem is not neutral. Um, it's becoming increasingly authoritarian. Uh, authoritarian uh, social media platforms are also not neutral, right? Uh, from using algorithms that create everything we see uh, and access, they pretty much control when and how and uh, where we can access information uh, using algorithms. And of course, they also decide on the terms of, of services. Um, what is permissible on their on their platforms and what is not and, and to our disadvantage as Palestinians, uh, many of those policies uh, criminalize, so to speak, uh, Palestinian narratives, you know, speaking about resistance or uh, sharing, uh, talking about ethnic cleansing or the, the mass digital censorship and suppression we've seen done by platforms themselves last year. Um, so it makes it it's, a, it, you know, we're not, we're starting again from a disadvantaged point of view. This being said, there are still pockets of space where Palestinians can connect with the outside world. There's definitely a narrative breakthrough uh, that happened last year. Uh, many organizations, I mean, seeing the most powerful and prominent human rights organizations in this world, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International turn around to do a different kind of analysis of the situation uh, where it's more accurate. We're not only talking about a military occupation, we're talking about an entrenched system and apartheid. Uh, and, and that's definitely, we're moving the needle in the right, in the right direction. Um, and hopefully changing the narratives is a start for um, hopefully changing policy uh, action on behalf of the US uh, by policymakers and lawmakers in the US and in the EU. That's, I think, the missing link at this point in time um, where international organizations have had their say. Now we're still waiting to hear what uh, those powerful uh, governments around the world are going to comment on those uh, developments. Thanks, Marwa. And um, uh, I'm glad that you brought up the, the issue, the subject of the, the first intifada, because uh, this is actually going to be our last question to you. So if you could be as uh, brief as possible, because we're, we're almost out of time. But I want to kind of pose another provocative question to, to you all. When I look back at the first intifada, it, it's really quite striking. You mentioned how they were communicating using these very primitive uh, modes of communication. Um, certainly nothing, you know, the, nothing existed like what we have today of instant digital communication uh, in real time. Um, people were using fax machines and, and uh, phones and, and word of mouth. Um, but also, in terms of the role that civil society played, it really played a critical role in, in shaping and sustaining that uprising because there was a moment, for example, when uh, because schools were a hotbed of activity, Israel closed down the schools. And so civil society stepped in and there were underground schools and there were popular committees uh, at the local level taking care of these sort of quasi-governmental functions. Um, there was no Palestinian authority back then, and, and yet civil society was able to keep things together um, and, and keep society from, from falling apart. So I, fast forward to today, uh, we often talk about or, or hear predictions that the PA could collapse, that the Palestinian authority or they're running out of funding, they lack legitimacy, there, is, there are all kinds of reasons that the PA could collapse. 
given that, if something like that were to happen, what is the state of Palestinian civil society today? Is that something that, that Palestinian civil society is thinking about, planning for, uh, that is the eventuality of Palestinian collapse? Um, and if you could uh, handle that very small question in, in under two minutes each. <laughs> I'll try my best. Um... Yeah, I mean, so of course the PA wants us to believe that the moment it dissolves, it's going to turn into a complete chaos. And many of those who work for the PA, it's a source of income for many families. But I always say that Palestinians existed before the PA and are going to continue to exist after the PA. I don't think that there has been a, a collective brainstorming session where Palestinians are collectively answering this question, you know, the aftermath of the PA. But I do believe in the will and the creativity of the Palestinian people. And I would not be surprised to see another level of organizing, uh, organic grassroots organization. We've seen that to a certain degree actually last year. As I said, it was not, many of the protests did not happen because Palest uh, Palestinian fractions said to Palestinians go out on the streets. Um, so I'm, I'm not too worried about that future. I think that Palestinians would be able to organize for the specific question on the civil society, role of civil society, they do belong, some of them do belong to the Oslo era and they might find it difficult to function. I mean, those who have been chasing after foreign funding and conducting programs that are not necessarily connected to the Palestinian people might not be able to fit to do the job, uh, but we might find new modes of, of networking and, and uh, of organizing that we have not necessarily seen and the traditional players might not uh, be the most prominent actors, but that's of course me speculating. Uh, and uh, Ahmed, same question to you. Yeah, uh, if, if I understand correctly, please correct for me uh, if I go uh, away from the answer. Uh, I think one of the uh, points of the power in the first intifada, that the civil society uh, 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 didn't uh, uh, based on uh, basic, basic, basically on the uh, uh, foreign uh, finance, but it, it was uh, it was like a, a kind of uh, uh, volunteer here. The idea of the volunteer here was very strong in the first intifada. So this made it more more stronger and also more revol uh, revolutionary at that time and more uh, uh, connected to the national struggle, Palestinian struggle. Uh, the, the problem today, in my opinion, that uh, the, 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 the uh, many NGOs, the NGOs depends on the, uh, uh, the uh, as example, the European Union uh, uh, finance, this this give uh, this makes uh, many restrictions, and uh, sometimes you feel that uh, 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 the, the NGOs uh, doesn't represent uh, the 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 real situation in Palestine, the real popular situation in Palestine. Uh, so I uh, uh, we we need to uh, to to focus on uh, more to focus on. Uh, how to find the uh, national lobbies, the popular lobbies, based on the uh, idea of the volunteer here in Palestine. This can uh, make us uh, uh, stronger uh, uh, in, the, uh, in, in the national role 
when it uh, uh, when we need to uh, or when 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 some events happened like the first intifada so uh, uh, at that time we can find that uh, uh, that the situation will be stronger thank you ahmed and we are almost exactly on time that's an amazing finish so we're going to end here um I want to thank, on behalf of the Middle East Institute and the Foundation for Middle East Peace, uh, I want to thank Marwa and Ahmed. Thank you so much for participating and carrying the extra load today. Uh, I also want to thank everyone who joined us for this webinar, and especially those who submitted questions. We appreciate your engagement. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's session. We hope to see you again next Friday at the same time for what will be the final session in this series, which will look at another hot topic, uh, the title is A New Era of Palestinian Unity, question mark, which is something that we actually touched on today, but we're going to dig in much deeper tomorrow, uh, next week. That will feature Lana Tatur from University of, North, of New South Wales in Australia, Dr. Yara Hawari from Ashebeka, and Tarek Bakoni also of Ashebeka. So we will look for you then. In So thank you so much.